This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Amen. Well, take your Bibles and turn with me once again to Hebrews chapter 11. We have been walking through the book of Hebrews uh, since, I don't know, last February, and we started Hebrews 11 last week. I'm excited about this journey that God has for us uh, through this chapter. We're going to camp out here for a little while and try to learn what it looks like and what God has called us to at the end of Hebrews 10, and that is the three little words in which our life with Jesus hinges on, and that is live by faith. The righteous live by faith, and we want to learn what that looks like practically, and that's how we're going to journey through this chapter. I am teaching a little class on Wednesday nights, five-week class. I just finished week three, and I'm titling the class, Experiencing the Abundant Life with Jesus. And the reason I decided to teach that is because I am sensing in our church, for many of you, that you, and I'm with you, are growing tired of a lifeless religious system and you're hungry for a personal walk with Jesus Christ, a real and a living God. And you wanna know Jesus and you wanna know what it's like uh, to meet with him and to hear from him and to receive from him. And so I'm talking about how do we experience that abundant life with Jesus? And as I was preparing for that on Wednesday and this on Sunday morning, I was reminded of this quote by Eugene Peterson. Listen carefully to these words. He says, it is not difficult in such a world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is terrifically difficult to sustain the interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again, but the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is slim. In our kind of culture, anything, even news about God, can be sold if it's packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes onto the garbage heap. There is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. He says, religion in our time has been captured by the tourist mindset. Religion is understood as a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate leisure. For some, it's a weekly jaunt to church. For others, occasional visits to special services. Some, with a bent for religious entertainment and sacred diversions, plan their lives around special events like retreats, rallies, and conferences. We go to see a new personality to hear a new truth, to get a new experience, and so somehow expand our otherwise humdrum lives. We'll try anything until something else comes along. He says, everyone is in a hurry. The persons whom I lead in worship, among whom I counsel and visit and pray and preach and teach, they want shortcuts. They want me to help them fill out the form that will get them instant credit in eternity. They are impatient for results. 
They have adopted the lifestyle of a tourist and they only want the high points, but a pastor is not a tour guide and the Christian life cannot mature under such conditions and in such ways. I think out of all of that, the most profound statement to me is when he says there is a great market for religious experience in our world, but there is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. In other words, in other words there's a lot of people looking for dramatic experiences, but there are little people interested in daily faith. And that's a problem. That's a problem because this is not a religion which is just made up of constant experiences. This is a relationship with a living person. And his invitation to come to himself is an invitation to discipleship. It is a process in which day by day by day we walk with the living Jesus Christ. And in so doing, over a long period of time, come to know him and look like him. And it is not a quick process. It's a wonderful process. But it is a slow process in which we learn to be disciples. And that's exactly what our text is about today. A call to simply learn what it means to walk with Jesus and in so doing see our lives transformed. Hebrews 11 is here for our motivation. It really does exist to fire us up. We're supposed to read these stories and say, I, w- I want that. Like I'm not gonna settle anymore for this lifeless system. I want Jesus and I wanna know what it means to live by faith and I want it to be real and authentic. I think you're hungry for that and so am I. But it is also here for our imitation. It's here for our instruction. We're supposed to look at the lives of these great men and women and learn from them what it means for us to to live by faith. But I have to say, given that idea that we are to learn from these men and be encouraged by them and motivated by them, the first two examples seem very strange to me. It seems hard for me to understand in the midst of all of the great examples we have in the Old Testament why these two would be our starting place, but they are. Our text today tells us the story of two men, Abel and Enoch. If you're there in Hebrews 11 verse 4, say amen. Listen to these words. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gift. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch, when he was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We're going to save that next verse in the story of Noah, Lord willing, till next week. But this morning, it is interesting for us to look at the two lives of these men, the first ones that are given to us as examples of what it means to live by faith and ask the Lord, Lord, what do we, what do we learn from these guys? The first one is Abel. You're probably familiar with him. His story is given to us in Genesis chapter four. He had a brother named Cain and they were the two sons of Adam and Eve. It really doesn't tell much about him at all, which is one of the reasons it's interesting he's listed here. But in Genesis four, it does say this. It says, now Abel was a keeper of sheep 
and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought an offering of the first fruit of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. That little story right there is where the author of Hebrews gets his story. He's essentially repeating that story. He's saying that here are two brothers. Abel was a farmer and Abel was a, Abel was a shepherd and his brother Cain was a farmer. And they came to bring an offering to the Lord. It tells us that Cain, because he was a farmer, brought some of the produce of the ground and he grabbed an offering and he went and took it to the Lord. And it said his brother Abel did the same thing. What he had was sheep because that was his line of work. And so he brought one and brought it to the Lord. Yet there was something dramatically different about the way the Lord responded to their offerings. It wasn't just their offerings. It was the way the Lord responded to the people. It not only says God approved of Abel's offering, but he approved of Abel himself. He commended Abel as righteous. He not only disregarded Cain's offering, but disregarded Cain himself. Because in some way, the offering was a picture of what was actually going on in their hearts. And we know that the distinction between the two offerings was that one of them was given by faith and one of them wasn't. It seems to be the case that when it was time for Cain to bring an offering, he went to his gardens and he found some stuff. It doesn't seem that he was very thoughtful about what he brought the Lord. It may have been that he brought the Lord something that was left over that he couldn't sell or he wasn't going to eat and he came and brought it to the Lord. And the Lord not only sees our offering, he sees our motives. And so he saw the motives of Cain's heart. But it tells us that Abel did something different. And, and while it said that Cain just brought an offering from the ground, it tells us more detail about Abel. It says that Abel's offering was one of the first fruits and it was of the fat portion. Now, the fat portion was the portion which was not only better to eat, but more profitable to sell. And so if this was the way in which these two men made their living, what happened is Abel not only gave an offering that would have been the best thing for him to eat, but the best thing for him to sell. And the reason those details matter is this. Abel gave an offering that cost him something. Abel gave a sacrificial offering. Cain gave some leftovers. Abel gave something that demanded faith. And we talked about this last week from Matthew 6. I said to you that the introduction into the life of faith for a new believer, and that you may have never been taught this, but for a new believer, the introduction to the life of faith is three disciplines the Lord gives us. Prayer, fasting, and giving. And giving out of all of those actually demands the most specific faith. You got more skin in the game. And particularly when you choose to give it the way the Lord tells us, by faith, and you give of the first fruits. Meaning, when you get that check, you give before you pay anything else. Now that really does take some faith, doesn't it? I've got the bills, I've got the mortgage, I've got all these things, but I'm gonna give from the first of the check because by so doing, what you're saying is this, I believe that God keeps his promise and he tells me in Matthew 6 that he rewards those who give in secret. And so to give at the very beginning requires some faith. This is what Abel did. Abel said, here's the best thing I have to offer. Here's the most valuable thing I have to offer. And instead of giving something less valuable and less profitable and less tasty, I'm gonna give the best thing I have to the Lord. And the result was this. God not only accepted his offering, he accepted him. 
It said he was commended as righteous by his gift. Now, to be very clear here, Abel was not righteous because he gave an offering. Abel was righteous because he had faith. Now, it tells us in verse two, the way the men of old gained approval with God is the same way you get right with God today by faith in the promises of God. You know how you become a Christian? You believe the promise of God. Specifically, you believe that God loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son. And that if you will believe in him, you will not perish but have everlasting life. That's a promise of God. Meaning every single one of us deserves to go to hell because of our own sin. And the wrath of God is on us because of our sin, rightly and justly. But God in his grace and his son, Jesus Christ, to take upon himself all of our sins so that he might pay for them and we might be made righteous. So if we will call upon the name of the Lord and say, Lord, I trust you. I want to give my life to you. I'm trusting Jesus to pay for my sin. Then what happens is we're declared righteous. Romans 5.1. By faith, we are made righteous. And it's always been the case. People are right with God by faith. And what happened with Abel is Abel, out of a heart of faith that believed God and trusted the Lord, said, I'm going to give my best to the Lord. Why? Because I believe that when the Lord says he is worth it, he's actually worth it. And when I believe the Lord says that he will reward that kind of gift, I believe it and I'm going to walk in faith in that. That's exactly what Abel did. He's an example of giving by faith. Then it tells us in verse five about Enoch, who was one of the more mysterious people in all of the Old Testament. We don't have much about Abel. We may have less about Enoch. And his story can be found in the next chapter in Genesis 5. Now, you may not have even noticed this because, now listen, I I say this to you all the time. You're not normal believers here at Prince Avenue. I, I know that you're next level in every way. And so you would never dare skip a good genealogy when you're reading through the Bible. I know that about you. As a matter of fact, I know you slow down and just get fired up about a good genealogy. And Genesis 5 is a genealogy. It's one of those chapters where right at the beginning you realize, oh, it's one of these, you know. So-and-so had so-and-so, and they had so-and-so, and they lived to this age and had so-and-so. And it's exactly what happens in Genesis 5. It traces Adam all the way to Noah, and it goes the same way throughout the whole thing. This person was this old when he had this guy. This guy then had this guy, and this guy died, and everyone goes in the same formula. Every single story, except for one in Genesis 5, says something like this. This guy was this age, he gave birth to a son. He lived to be this age and he died. In the next story, he died, he died, he died. And then we get to the story of Enoch right toward the end of this genealogy. And it says this in Genesis 5. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 65 years. And this is where it said, and Enoch dies in every other story, but it doesn't say that. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. So basically what we know about Enoch is this. He had a kid when he was 65. He then lived 300 more years. And then unlike everyone else in the chapter, he didn't die. He was just taken up. That's what it says. Now I have absolutely no idea what that means. I know Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind. I know Jesus ascended into a cloud. So we have a couple of examples. But it's not that Enoch just walked off into the sunset, left his family, and we never saw him again. No, 
they seem to know for a fact that God took Enoch up in some supernatural way. And that is why five times in Hebrews 11, he talks about that. He says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. He never died. And he was not found because God had taken him. And now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So somehow, in some mysterious way, Enoch just disappeared. The Lord took him up, maybe in a whirlwind or a cloud or something. But the most unique thing about Enoch's story, when you're reading all these stories, is not that he didn't die, but twice it tells us something about him that it doesn't tell us about someone else. It simply says twice this, Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. Now, Hebrews 11 doesn't say that. Hebrews 11 says twice that he pleased the Lord, but that's the same thing. He pleased the Lord by walking with the Lord. And so to walk with the Lord is to please the Lord. To please the Lord is the, to walk with the Lord. And, and so it is, what the author of Hebrews 11 is saying is this, Abel gave an offering and pleased the Lord. Enoch walked with the Lord and pleased the Lord. And what both of them have in common is that Abel was commended for his faith and Enoch was commended for his faith. They both seem to please the Lord. Here's the thing. Given the rest of Hebrews 11 and given all of the Old Testament and all of the great men and women of faith and all of the incredible things that happened, I just have to stop and ask the question, why in the world did God start with these two men? I mean, this is the faith hall of fame. These are those we're supposed to imitate. And towards the end of the chapter, there are some incredible, well, the next verse and what Noah did, some incredible stories of dramatic moments of faith. But I have to ask, what do we, what do we learn from these guys? I mean, I'm not diminishing their significance, but everyone else seems to be obvious. Why these guys? I mean, I've never opened a book on the great heroes of the Bible and found a chapter on Abel. And the truth is, even apart from that, there, there's something kind of tragic about both of their lives. I mean, I, Hebrews 11 doesn't mention it, but I feel like in fairness, I need to remember Abel got murdered by his brother. It's not exactly a Hallmark movie. I mean, this doesn't end well. Like he gives this sacrifice and then his brother gives a sacrifice and the Lord says to Cain, I don't accept your sacrifice. Cain gets super angry and goes and murders his brother. But it's really not tragic because you have a perfect example of the life of those who walk with the Lord and those who don't. Cain seemed to hold on to everything in the world and he lost his soul. While Abel seemed to give the best to the Lord and he gained his soul and eternal life with the Lord. So although it might appear tragic for all of eternity, it was anything but tragic. You say, what's tragic about Enoch? Well, he didn't live very long, only 365 years. Now you think that's funny, but, but look, his dad lived to 962 and his son lived to 969. And it is interesting that in this chapter of everyone living 800 and 900 years, it tells us that Enoch lived 365 years, meaning if you take our normal lifespan, that'd be like living till 26 or 27. Like he did disappear a little early. There's so many strange things and you just wonder like, what did Abel do? He gave an offering. What did Enoch do? He walked with the Lord. And so what is it that we're to learn from these men? Well, I think the lesson God wants us to learn from these two men is simply this. In the midst of all of the examples of the great 
things that God has used men and women to do by faith. The normal way in which Christians live is just a lot of little things by faith. In the midst of all of the stories of God doing big things by faith, the Lord wants to remind us that what faith usually looks like in our lives is a bunch of little faithfulness. And I think as Eugene Peterson said in that quote I wrote, we're all looking for the big things. We all want the big experiences and there are some that have those, but the normal life of a believer is daily, moment by moment in the little things of the day, walking by faith and getting to the end of your life. And the one thing that is said is this, they walked with God. And I'm really thankful for these two men. I love the fact that in the midst of all these big things, where we might think, well, God's never gonna use me to do that. He says, well, that's not always how it looks like. The normal life just looks like these two men giving an offering by faith, day by day, walking with God by faith and just doing that day after day. And as we get to see that, what's supposed to stir up in our heart is a desire to be like that. To say, God, I, I wanna please you and I, and I wanna walk by faith. And that leads us to verse six where it says this, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. Abel pleased God, Enoch pleased God. How did they do it? Well, they did it by faith. Well, what does that look like? Well, it looks like drawing near to God. It means spending time with God. And it looks like this, verse six. It looks like believing that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You see, verse six indicates to us how it is that we live our life walking by faith as an Abel and an Enoch, just faithfully before the Lord. The normal life that God has called us to, how do we live that way? And he says, well, it's, it's this, is that what faith looks like in a normal walking by faith is believing that God exists and believing that he rewards those who seek him. Now let's think about that for a minute. Think about that first phrase, believing he exists. What I believe that means is this. It means living like God is real. Write that down. What does it mean to believe that he exists? It means this. It means living like God is real. This is not about atheism versus theism. Do you believe God exists or not? That's not the point of this verse. The literal translation is you must believe that he is. That's what it says. And it's not just believing that he exists. Listen, there's a lot of people who believe that he exists, but they don't live like he's real. You know that to be true. They believe that he exists. They just don't live like he is real. And what this is saying is faith looks like believing God is real. You say, what does that mean? It means this. It means living like we have been called into a relationship with a living savior. Listen, who still talks to us, who still meets with us, who still is involved in our lives, who still answers prayer, who is there when we call upon him. And every moment of the day, by the power of the spirit of God, it is possible to walk with Jesus. Believe that he's real. That this is not some fairy tale. This is not some list of do's and don'ts. This is walking with a real person. It's believing and living like God is real. I was thinking about this this week and this whole idea of walking with God, because it says that twice about Enoch. And I, I just thought there's so many things that we say in church 
that have to sound so weird to someone that's never been in church. And they're just normal to us, right? We just say this. But imagine, and this may be you today, imagine you've never really heard about the things of the Lord and you walk in here and the sermon's on walking with God. That's really weird. Like we just want you to walk with God. And you say, well, that must be a metaphor with something. No, we actually want you to walk with God. So what in the world do you mean by walking with God? What we mean is this, we actually believe God is real. And because we believe he's real, we believe it is possible by faith to get up in the morning to read this word and it to be alive in your heart and give you specific instruction for the day. We also believe that when you get up from that place, you can be so filled with the spirit of God that every step you take is a step with Jesus. And in every temptation and in every moment and in every circumstance, it is possible to be receiving from the spirit of God exactly what you need for that moment. And it is possible to lay your head on your pillow at night and to know that you have seen God that day. You have heard from him. You have received from him. You have walked with God. And listen, it is impossible to do that unless you believe that our God is very, very real. He's real. And I, I'm desperate for you to experience that. Like my, uh, the great longing of my heart at this season of my church is that you would break free from whatever lifeless system that you've been bound to and you would meet a very real God who's real every moment of the day. You gotta believe that he's real. But not only that, you also have to believe and live like he's good. That's what the next phrase means. You must believe that he is and that he rewards those who seek him. You must live as if God is real. Write this down, the second one. You must live like God is good. You see, this is what it's saying. It's saying walking by faith demands that we believe God is real. You can walk with him. You can hear from him, receive from him. And you must live like God is good. You must live as if you really believe that our God loves to give and he loves to reward and he keeps his promises and those who seek him and those who go after him and those who draw near to him and those who wake up to receive from him and those who draw near to him by his spirit, God loves to bless them and he loves to reward them and he loves to give himself to them when it says you must believe that he is a rewarder, it means this, you must believe and live like he is real and live like he is good. I love Matthew seven eleven where it says this, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I love that. I, I, it's not that I just love the promise I love the heart of Jesus. It'd be one thing for Jesus to promise that, but this is flowing out of his heart. How much more will our father who loves you and longs for you, how much more will he meet you when you pray? How much more will he answer your prayer? How much more does he want you to experience him and see him? Because this is the heart of our God who is longing for you to experience him and to know him. And what this means is that you, you pray like God blesses it. You get up and you read this Bible like God is gonna reward it. You fast because you believe that God is gonna reward it. You give, why? Because you believe that God is gonna reward it. When you do that, you know what you're doing? You're living like God is real and you're living like God is good. It's one thing to know he exists. It is another thing to know and to live 
like he's real and is good and he's keeping his promises and you can experience all of that today. That's what he's saying. Now listen, I absolutely believe, and I'm not, I'm not just saying this, I believe based on what God is doing in our church, I believe based upon the amount of college students and students, the amount of retirees, I believe this because I'm hearing some of this from you, I believe that God is gonna call some of you to be a Noah, an Abraham, a Moses, to leave father and mother and home and reach the unreached of Nepal, to sacrifice everything for the cause of Christ. He might call some of you to give your life for the cause of Christ. Some of you will give in a way that is absolutely unbelievable to many. You will choose and God will call you to give dramatically, to sacrifice dramatically. Some of you will do some things in which the world looks at it. They will say that is something incredible for God. I believe that God is stirring up that kind of faith and some of you will be called to do that. But listen, most of us will simply be called like Abel and Enoch to walk with Jesus every day. And it may not be super dramatic. Like there may not be a lot of books written about your life, but the reality is your life will be pleasing to the Lord and you will see God do all kinds of things in your life. Why? Because you've made the decision to simply walk by faith today. And the reason that I'm so personally glad we've got the Abels and the Enoch in the Faith Hall of Fame is because it's a reminder that God does not overlook any of your acts of faith. He sees every prayer you pray. He notices every moment you're in the word. He notices when you give. He noticed when you fast. And he blesses all of it. And I just love, as a normal guy, to just know that all of those normal acts of faith are exactly what God is looking for and exactly what God blesses. That gives me some hope that my life can matter for the kingdom of God. Now, I read that quote at the beginning. I think sometime the reason, I'm being honest with you here, I think sometime the reason Christians are looking for so much of the big moments is because their pastors teach you that the only significant moments are the big moments. And we often lead in that kind of way and we always need big moments and big moments and big moments. And so it leaves you thinking that God's only really using those who do dramatic things and God's only moving in the dramatic things. What I want you to hear from me is this. If you wanna see God move by faith, you pray, you read, you fast, you give and you watch him move. That's the kind of life God blesses. And the reason they're here is because God wants us to know that that's the normal Christian life right there. And what excites me, what excites me is, is I do know that even though someone might not write a book about you and, and maybe there might not be those dramatic things, the reality is I am confident based upon God's word, if you'll just choose to walk with Jesus, getting up in the morning day by day, learning how to keep him before you. I think of Psalm 16. I have kept the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Just keeping the Lord in front of you. Just walking with the Lord day by day. I'm confident a couple of things are gonna happen in your life. I think number one, you are gonna see God do some great things. And you're gonna see God move. I was um, taking a walk this week and I had this thought. I thought, man, just imagine, listen to me. Just imagine if some of you 
got serious about your daily relationship with the Lord and you started giving of the first fruits. You started praying and asking for the Lord. So I had lunch with somebody this week and I just challenged them. I said, I want you, I, I, they told me about something on their heart. I said, pray about it every day and get your children to pray about it every day. What if you took prayer seriously? And what if you started fasting for a breakthrough? And, and what if you just started reading your Bible and looking for opportunities to witness and share the gospel? I think God would start to do things in your life you wouldn't believe. And here's what I hope as a pastor, I wanna hear the stories. Like I'm hoping that in the next few weeks, some of you come and say, Pastor, you're not gonna believe this. I, I walked by faith and here's what God did. And I want others to hear your story. And the reality is if you'll just be faithful to knock on your neighbor's door and share the gospel, invite people to church, read, pray, all of that kind of stuff is noticed by God and he will not ignore it. He will bless it. And man, that is an incredible way to live, seeing God work and move in your life in a very real way. But the other thing I think will happen is this, is you will end up living a life that leaves a legacy of faith for those behind you. Look at that little phrase. I'll finish with this in verse four. It says about Abel, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. You want a life that matters? Just walk by faith. I know you would think because I have five kids, I have tons of parenting philosophies. I don't, but I've got one big one. And this is my main parenting philosophy. I get it from Deuteronomy 6 and a lot of other places from scripture. It resonates with me here. Let me tell you my number one, Pastor Josh with five kids, parenting philosophy. Here it is. The greatest gift you can give your kids is your own personal, real walk with Jesus. They don't need your religious exercises they don't need your do's and don'ts. They don't need to act like Jesus doesn't exist except on Sundays. They need to see from your life that you believe God is real and God is good. And what's gonna happen is this. They're gonna grow up in a church, Lord willing, and a home in which they've seen God work. And if they see him work, they're gonna want him for the rest of his life. That's my hope. What a legacy of faith. Abel, I mean, there's nothing big he ever did. And it says this, though he's dead, he still speaks. Why? Because he just walked with Jesus and left us a legacy of faith. And there is nothing the next generation needs more. Listen, my kids need, need it from me. You know what? They also need it from you. They need, to see, they need to be in a church where they're seeing God work in your life. And so here's the grand vision from Hebrews 11, four through six. Get up in the morning, walk with Jesus. Read this. It's alive and God's alive. He's gonna bless you. And you're gonna get to see him work. And there's just no better life than that. I pray that it'd be your experience. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.